Church, we are in three, week three of our series on the book of Acts. And today, we're going to start to uncover some of the most monumental and significant scriptures in all of the Bible when it comes to the church and redemptive history. Significant because it's the birth of the church and the most important day in the church's existence next to the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ. We're going to begin in Acts chapter 2 where we will look at where it all gets started. Remember, we've been speaking about this, that Jesus said, I will build my church, Matthew chapter 16, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. That promise is now coming true. This is when the Holy Spirit baptizes them into the body of Christ and fills them with power. This is what Jesus promised them in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 when he said, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And what you're about to see are the apostles, but you're about to see different apostles. The last time we see the apostles in the Gospels, they are somewhat afraid, unlearned, and ignorant fishermen or tradesmen from Galilee. And they're still not perfect, but now you read that they're bold. They sound articulate. They sound knowledgeable of Scripture. Because what happened to them, there was number one, a new presence, and number two, a new power. The presence was the resurrected Christ. They, they saw Jesus alive after his death, after he was raised from the dead, and that changed them forever. But then also a new power. The Holy Spirit coming upon them, and you will see now through this book an empowerment. An empowerment as the Holy Spirit fills them, and they go out into all the world, and extraordinary things will take place of which we'll begin to see and church, it is my prayer that by God's grace, in our own lives and in this church, we will be able to experience similar things as well. That we will be able to experience more and more of the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That as we read some of these chapters in the book of Acts, we'll start seeing these things evident in us. That's my prayer, and I want you to pray with me in that direction. So let's begin reading. Please open your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 2. Those of you who have your Bibles and those on your tablets and your phones, we're reading from the New King James Version. Verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Firstly, church, what is the day of Pentecost? Pentecost means 50th, and it literally refers to the 50th day after Passover. And it is one of the three major festivals that Jews, especially Jewish males who lived in and around the areas of Jerusalem and Judea, would attend. They were required three times a year to appear in the temple before the Lord for these feasts. And Pentecost was one of them. And church, the reason that the mention of Pentecost having fully come is so significant is because it was the fulfillment of the next great event of redemptive history. What do I mean by that? 
Well, firstly, there was the Old Testament revelation where God spoke in many ways to the fathers of faith by the prophets, establishing truth, establishing a true understanding of Him and how His redemptive purpose in the Old Testament would be fulfilled in Christ. Then there was the second greatest or the great event in redemptive history. There was the arrival of God incarnate, the Lord Jesus Christ, who came to the earth and was made flesh and dwelt among us. About 33 years after that, the third great event in God's redemptive history was the death of Jesus. Solidifying the new covenant by which the sacrifice of himself, he solidified that. And a few days after that, the next great event, which was the resurrection from the dead, by which God affirmed the sacrifice that Christ had made. Forty days after that, the fifth great event was the ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ as he went back into heaven to be crowned and seated at the Father's right hand, having accomplished redemption. And the next great event is this one on the day of Pentecost that we're reading in Acts chapter 2. The sending of the Holy Spirit to bring believers together and establish the church in which he takes up residence. At church, it's important for us to understand that this wasn't something that was, at the time, was prayed for, and that's why the Holy Spirit came. It was the fulfillment of God's divine plan in the sequence of redemptive history. And look, that doesn't mean that we can't pray for the Holy Spirit, that we can't pray for the Holy Spirit's continual infilling. It just means that this event happened according to God's sovereign timeline. It was the culmination of everything prophesied in the Old Testament, everything fulfilled by Jesus, and everything promised of the, for the empowering of the church, which continues all the way up until today, and until he returns again. Verse 2. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven, as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Yes, praise God. On the day of Pentecost, the early church, 120 of them in the upper room, experienced three miraculous things. One, there was an audible phenomenon. Two, there was a visible phenomenon. And three, there was an oral phenomenon. First of all, there was something audible. They heard something. And it was the sound as of a rushing mighty wind. Now, please note that it says as of. He's not describing the weather conditions in that area. It wasn't a windy day in Jerusalem or some meteorological phenomenon. It was a sound. They heard something. It was a sound as of a rushing mighty wind, something like this. Probably a bit louder than that, yeah. <laughs> you see, it doesn't mean it was windy. It could have been perfectly calm, but they heard the sound. Right? We don't know. It could have been windy, but it doesn't give us that much information. Now, church, why a rushing mighty wind? Well, if you look at other examples in the Bible, 
the Lord spoke to Job through a whirlwind. The Lord's voice came from that. You'll also remember that when Jesus was with Nicodemus, he said, The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. He likened the movement of the Spirit to a wind. So they hear the sound of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then here's the second phenomenon. Then there appeared to them divided tongues, and notice again, as of fire. So don't think that their hair or their, or their bodies are getting burned here, right? It's what they saw. It was a visible phenomenon, as of fire. It's something they saw, divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. Why fire, you may ask? Well, again, if you look to the Bible, you find that sometimes fire was used as a symbol of God's presence. That's what Moses experienced in Exodus chapter 3 as he walked by the burning bush that wasn't consumed. And the angel of the Lord spoke to him through that bush. On Mount Sinai, when God spoke and when he gave the law, there was lightning and thunder and fire and smoke, which was a symbol of the presence of God. And church, what was it that directed the children of Israel for 40 years through the wilderness at night? A pillar of fire. So these are all symbols that the Jewish people would be familiar with. Wind and fire, the Spirit of God and the presence of God. And then it says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Remember in Acts chapter 1, it said the number of names was about 120 in the upper room. This was the original number of the church. And it doesn't say that some of them were filled. What does it say? It says that all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance, which is the third phenomenon. They began to speak with other tongues. And what was the result of all this phenomena? Verse 5. And they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when the sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Who are these Galileans? Now, church, I don't know if you know this, but Galileans were not highly respected people among the Jews. They were considered backward people. They were considered uneducated, low lives, inferior people in society. But these Galileans were not only speaking in some other language, they were speaking in direct dialects of people who had come to the Feast of Pentecost. Jewish people who were from all over the known world. And some of them had traveled so long and so far to get to Jerusalem, and they're now saying, how is it that these Galileans are able to speak in our dialect? They were amazed and marveled at how they spoke in the languages in which they were born. And where were they born? Verse 9. Parthians and Medes 
and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. The wonderful works of God. On the day of Pentecost, the apostles and the 120 are speaking in roughly 16 different known dialects. And church, the difference here when they're speaking in other tongues is that they're actually speaking other earthly languages. You see, it's different to the tongues referred to in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 that talks about the gifts of the Spirit and where chapter 14 goes into depth about the gift of tongues. The huge difference here between the tongues in Acts chapter 2 and the tongues in 1 Corinthians 14 is a language, well, Acts chapter 2 is a language that you can understand, and 1 Corinthians chapter 14 is a language that you are unable to understand without a special gift of the Spirit called the gift of the interpretation of tongues. And church, the reason I bring this up is not to get into this, this debatable topic about the gift of tongues, but people believed, some people believe that tongues was only given to the church so that they could preach the gospel. It was only given to the early church so that they could preach the gospel. That's not why the gift of tongues was given. And in fact, as we read, they are not preaching the gospel here. They are declaring the wonderful works of God, right? And these travelers had never heard anyone make these declarations in any other language than their original Jewish Aramaic. And they were amazed. Verse 12, it says, They were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, Whatever could this mean? Others, mocking, said, They're just full of new wine. they drunk. Isn't it amazing, church, how in every crowd, every situation, probably every church service, there's going to be a mocker? In this verse, church, they're quick to say that the people can't be for real. These people can't be for real. They must surely be drunk. I find it really amazing how articulate these drunk people can be, even in foreign languages, right? And some of you may say, listen, I've heard a, a drunk person speak. It sounds like they're speaking in a foreign language. But this is something different. There's always going to be a mocker. And let me tell you, church. As a Christian, you are going to find yourself in many situations where the Lord will use you and there will be people that respond to the Lord and then there's going to be people that mock you. Why? Because if they don't understand something, they are going to attack the person and not the expression. And that person is more than likely going to be you. Sorry to say that. So as a Christian, if you're declaring the wonderful works of God, be prepared for both responses but don't be put off by the mockers. Because we know where these mockers came from in verse 13. They're the children of the Jewish establishment. They're the products of the scribes and the Sadducees and the Pharisees who were the self-confessed vicious enemies of Jesus. But regardless of the mockers here, it seems that most of these travelers that came to Jerusalem were amazed to the point and perplexed to the point that it opened up their curiosity 
for what Peter was about to preach. Peter wants to offer a true explanation of what's actually happening. And so starting in verse 14, we meet the new Peter. We meet the post-Holy Spirit Peter. And he's amazing. He's remarkable. He's, he speaks with such boldness. Let's read it together from verse 14. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Peter stands up and he boldly says, let it be known and heed my words. This is not the Peter of old. This is not the foot in your mouth, Peter. This is not the Peter that, the Peter that denied Jesus and, and ran away. This is the restored Peter. He comes boldly and he says, we are not drunk as you suppose. It is only nine o'clock in the morning, which is what is meant by the third hour of the day. We're not drunk, he says. The bars aren't even open. And he follows that by saying, but this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In other words, this isn't them getting drunk. This is that. This is what was spoken by the prophet. So these people, they, they're a bit confused. And, and they're saying, what is the strange thing that's happening? And Peter very clearly says, this is not them getting drunk. This is what was spoken by Joel, the prophet. And this is the prophecy from verse 17. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen. What a powerful scripture, right? What a powerful prophecy. And I want to pause here for a few moments today, church, so that we can get a better understanding of the, the background of this prophecy. Let's understand what, what Joel was speaking about. In the book of Joel, interestingly, there's only three chapters. And Joel writes about a crisis that's happening in the midst of a devastating locust plague that has hit the, the land of Israel. And virtually nothing remains of their vines or grain all their crops have been destroyed. It says, for example, in, in chapter 1, verse 4, I'm just going to read it for you. What the chewing locust has left, the swarming locust has eaten. What the swarming locust has left, the crawling locust has eaten. And what the crawling locust has left, the consuming locust has eaten. In other words, there's nothing left. And then in chapter 2, verse 3, it says, The land is like the Garden of Eden before them. And behind them a desolate wilderness, surely nothing shall escape them. The children of Israel had turned away from their God. 
And so Joel starts to address them, and he says, he says, Weep, you drunkards, because there are no more vines to make your liquor from. Right? He starts to give them a bit of stick. But, but for him, the greatest tragedy is expressed in, in chapter 1, verse 9, when the cereal offering and the drink offering are cut off from the house of the Lord, and the priests mourn who minister to the Lord. And then he says to them very plainly, he says to them, this was no accident. The locusts are actually the army of the Lord and it's judgment upon you because you've turned away from the Lord. And then just to condense what happens from there, the Lord is about to enforce judgment on his people. He's about to destroy them. And in chapter 2, Joel calls for a repentance. And the Lord gives Joel a long list of things that they must do and the people do it. The people repent and they turn again to the Lord and God's jealousy is kindled for his people once again. And it says that the Lord answered and said to his people, Behold, I am sending you grain and wine and oil and you will be satisfied. And I will no longer make you a reproach among the nations. And then after a beautiful description of the restoration of God's people, Joel lifts up his eyes again and looks into the more distant future in chapter 2, verse 28. And it says, It shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my flesh, my spirit on all flesh. And he continues with the rest of the prophecy. And you see, Joel prophesied the judgment of the locusts, the day of the Lord, earlier on in the book of Joel. But now he lifts up his eyes and he sees another great and terrible day of the Lord coming upon all the earth. A day of judgment. He's referring to the second coming. He describes that in chapter 3, how the Lord will gather all the nations and bring them down to the valley of judgment, and He will enter into judgment with them there. The battle of Armageddon. However, church, however, before this cataclysmic day of final judgment comes, there's going to be a day in which the Spirit is going to be poured out on all flesh. All flesh, he's referring to his people, those that call on the name of the Lord. That's not everyone in the earth. When he says all flesh, it's on God's people. Now, after this prophecy, hundreds of years later on the day of Pentecost, the apostle Peter stands up and announces in Acts chapter 2, verse 16, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. What you're seeing right now is what was spoken. And I want us to consider something this morning, church. What is it that Joel means by saying that the Spirit would be poured out on all flesh? And then, to what newer and fuller degree of this event can we expect this to happen on this side of Pentecost? And I want you to consider something this morning. Church, what is the purpose of the Holy Spirit? And this is a broad subject, so I'm just going to try and put it into a statement this morning. But what is the purpose of the Holy Spirit? The purpose of the Spirit of God is the presence of God in the world to reveal God in action and in word. Let me say that again. The purpose of the Spirit of God is the presence of God in the world to reveal God in action and in word. And therefore, when Joel says that the Spirit is going to be poured out on all flesh, he means that the Spirit is going to draw near to his people. 
God Himself is going to reveal Himself and make Himself felt in a very personal and powerful way to us. Why? So that we can reveal God in action and in word. It becomes personal. You see, we need to remember that in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was still there. He was still with His people, but He wasn't in them. He didn't immerse them with His presence. And this is the big difference here in what Joel is describing. You see, he would have known what the Holy Spirit was like back in, in the Old Testament days, but he's prophesying a different expression. Let me give you an example of, of what, I'm, what I mean. I want to give you an example of, of the difference. Church is the difference, for instance, between seeing a lake in the distance, right? And being thrown into that lake and immersed in the water. There is a world of difference between experiencing God as a distant object of your intellect out there somewhere and being saturated by the presence of God and being immersed by Him. This prophecy gives us a picture of being soaked, saturated and swept along in the flood of the Holy Spirit of God. Joel wanted his hearers and his readers to anticipate this flood of God's presence that would be unmistakable in its experience. And Joel says that the way you will know if that's happening in someone's life is by the evident change in that person's life. The inner life is changed so dramatically that what is happening on the inside manifests itself on the outside in the form of dreams and, and visions and, and prophecies and other gifts of the Spirit. You are so filled with the presence of the Almighty God that you cannot help but express that in ways that represent Him and, and bring Him glory. That's what Joel was describing. And what Peter says in Acts chapter 2 in reference to that is that that prophecy is now starting to be fulfilled. You are seeing the Holy Spirit poured out on the birthday of the church in Acts chapter 2 and it's going to continue. And it's a preview of what's really going to be poured out in the end of the last days before the second coming of Jesus Christ. And church, why is this relevant for us? Because we are living in those days. We are living in those days. Technically speaking, the last day started when Jesus ascended and it's going to end when he returns. So technically it's been over 2,000 years. But I believe that we are living in the last of the last days. We're living in an era that is called the last days, which is really a graciously extended period before the judgment comes. And none of us know when this is going to happen. But in the last days, very importantly, church, in the last days, we can expect anything to be fulfilled in the church through the power of the Holy Spirit that was promised. We can expect that and we, we should expect that. The great and awesome day of the Lord is coming where we will see wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath. That you can be sure of. What you can also be sure of is that we are living in an era that we are living in an age in which the exalted Christ is now pouring out His Spirit on all flesh. Right to the very end. The degree to which that happens, church, may vary from day to day or from season to season depending on our revelation of who Jesus is 
And depending on God's perfect timing in His calendar of redemption. I want to speak about that a lot more next week, church. But in closing today, the prophet Joel said, Whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He said, Whoever turns back to God, repents of his wicked ways, and calls on his name will be saved. And then he prophesied the coming, the immersion, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. When Peter preaches in Acts chapter 2, after his sermon, he says in verse 38, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And he follows the pattern from Joel. Repent, believe, and receive. Repent, believe, and receive. Church, you know, we've been speaking about it for the last couple of weeks and months. The Lord is preparing us for something significant. Not just our church, He's preparing His true church for something significant. And maybe in our process of preparation, we need to take an opportunity like today to repent.